It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. After 26 years of administering Georgia's pre-K program, we all know that students are better prepared for kindergarten and excel in math, language, and literacy. But how are those same students doing four years later when they're tested at the end of third grade? And is that an accurate or even fair barometer of pre-K in Georgia? Recently, the website Education Dive interviewed our Deputy Commissioner, Susan Adams, about a pre-K study that was commissioned by DECAL and looked at the relationship between participation in Georgia's pre-K and third grade milestones assessment scores. And Commissioner, the response on social media was so strong and positive to that article, we thought we would talk more with Susan and Bentley on uh, this podcast. Yeah, I think it'll be great to hear from both Bentley and Susan more about the study because we didn't do a whole lot of um, press on the study when we did it, but it was great to see the article come out. And Dr. Bentley Ponder is one of the authors of the article, which is a big deal. So we're pleased to have him on our podcast, but more pleased to have him as part of our team at DECAL. (laughs) Well, it's a timely topic also because we're getting ready to prepare the 27th year for Georgia's pre-K program. Uh, So joining us today is Susan Adams, Deputy Commissioner for Georgia's Pre-K Program and Instructional Supports, and Dr. Bentley Ponder, Deputy Commissioner for Quality Innovations and Partnerships. You know, we've had Bentley and Susan on individually. I just think it's great they're on here together because they're the dynamic duo. They are. They've worked a long time together. Yeah, definitely. They complete each other's sentences. They can. We'll see that today, probably. The work spell. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's good to know. (laughs) Well, Bentley, let's, let's start with you. So we first explained this recent study by the national research organization Child Trends that looked at students who attended Georgia's pre-K program during the 2011-2012 school year. Was this an independent study, and did we initiate the study? Tell us how it all came about. Well, as you know, Commissioner, (laughs) it all came about because the study was of interest to the Alliance of Education Agency heads. And so it was something that they wanted us to look at. Uh, It was a great opportunity for us to partner with the Governor's Office of Student Achievement as well and use the Georgia Awards Longitudinal Data System. So that was, it was really a neat thing to be able to do that. Uh, We contracted with Child Trends, I mean, just in a nutshell, to compare scores on third grade milestone assessments between children who attended Georgia's pre-K and those who did not. Now, this sounds straightforward, (laughs) but it really isn't. Uh, So first, you have to have the data system to be able to do that, and the aforementioned Georgia Awards provides us that. But more importantly, you have to have appropriate controls in place so you can make an apples to apples comparison. Just taking, you know, students who attended and students who didn't attend and comparing is not the way to do it. Uh, There may be really big differences between those populations. So to be able to make those comparisons, you have to have other demographic that then the researchers can use to match the samples. So Child Trends has the statistical capacity to do that, and they've also worked with us on several projects so they know the full context. I think that's an important part about you can't, it's not an apples to apples comparison unless you um, do all the complicated things that Child Trends did for us. A lot of folks think it's a very easy comparison it's, when you say pre K and third grade, it, it's not. You mm-hmm. got to take out all those variables and have some type of common denominator. Yeah, and a lot of work went in to right. pull the data, and it's just, yeah, it's just, it's not easy. Right? Mm-hmm. 
So, Susan, the takeaways, what were they, and how were these students doing four years later? Well, people often ask us, what's the impact of Georgia's pre-K program? And we would say that we know a lot about the impact of pre-K. Um, our program is to get ready um get children ready for kindergarten, and we do that really well. But we also know that pre-K is part of an educational experience for children. And we want to see how are those children um, faring compared to peers that didn't have a pre-K experience in third grade. So it's a good question to ask, and it's a question we're often asked. Um, Is a performance measure for pre-K? Probably not, we would say. But it is also a good measure to see. So as we think about the takeaways, they're good. Um, As we look at pre-K children um, in third grade, the ones that attended pre-K compared to the children that didn't, um, you see small but significant differences. So your pre-K children are doing better across those domains. And this was a year on the Georgia Milestones, which is the end of course test for third grade. Um, And that year they did it across four domains, um, English, language, arts, math, social studies, and science. And pre-K children, um, children who attended Georgia's pre-K, did slightly better than the peers who didn't attend pre-K. And it was a match sample. So meaning that these were kids that looked alike. Um, what we don't know is, did the other children that didn't attend pre-K, did they have some kind of preschool experience? Our data would say yes, but we don't know about the quality of that. But it's really exciting to see that three years later, we still see the children who did experience pre-K are still doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're happy that you do see that um, impact because we're talking about four years later right. on a test that isn't designed to measure pre-K skills. Mm -hmm. It's designed to measure all those things up to third grade and really focus on those third grade skills. So it's exciting for us to see that. And when you do the math, third grade is four years after pre-K. So why is third grade often the standard of measurement in these types of studies to either one of you or both? Well, it's because I would say it's what we have. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. you know, at one point in time we had earlier right? assessments, but uh, even that being said, it's not an ideal measurement. I mean, for all the reasons that you mentioned and Susan just mentioned, uh, and to be honest, I actually had a lot of trepidation about us doing the study, mm-hmm. and I've often joked that when I thought the commissioner was going to ask me about it, I would hide from her, <laughs> and so she wouldn't ask me about it's it. True. It's true. <laughs> it's a great strategy. <laughs> yeah, well, it obviously didn't work. Um, I mean, I'm glad that we did it, and I'm glad that we have the data, mm-hmm. but because of all those things, just to take something four years later and then expect to see an impact is it's you know it's hard right and to the question of why do people ask that um, as you think about the development of children we're always helping people to refocus on that early childhood development doesn't end when you enter the doors of kindergarten it's really that span of time from children from birth to age eight Mm -hmm. so third grade kind of marks that kind of measure of the end of, um, you know, eight turning nine. And it's the time where you would expect that children would be um, proficient readers by then. So that's often a benchmark that we're looking at, that children develop at, at different levels. And that's the place where you're looking at a significant benchmark for children mm-hmm. at that age nine. So often people use that. But what they also sometimes confuse is whether or not um pre-K can be used as um, kind of 
a benchmark. Did you go to pre-K and then you did well in third grade? Mm -hmm. It's really about that continuum all the way from birth to third grade and what happens. That's what makes a difference of whether or not children are doing well. Pre-K is one um, point in that time frame. Mm -hmm. And I I would just add, too, that it aligns with the Get Georgia Reading campaign. Right. So. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's kind of what I assumed. They were targeting third grade because we all talk about. That's an important benchmark, right? Sure. Right. Susan had a great quote uh, in the Education Dive uh, interview that got a lot of positive response on social media. And I just want to, even with her sitting here, I'm going to quote Susan. She said, one year of pre-K may get you ready for kindergarten, but if you don't have the same kind of supportive environments in K1 and 2, then you're not going to see the same kind of results in third grade. Uh, what kind of response have you gotten from that? From folks um, said well, Reg, I don't know I've ever been quoted before, certainly not on a podcast. So. <laughs> well, it is. Um, First time. <laughs> I do think that um, this research is in, a, in um, alignment with what we see both in the state on our pre-K longitudinal study and then also the national level. Um, Pre-K isn't a silver bullet. You Mm. know, we can't expect that one year, even if it does really significant things for kids, which we know our Georgia's Pre-K program does, um, kids make um, greater growth than to be expected for that over that year. They're ready for kindergarten. That's just one moment in time. Kids have to have consistent, high-quality, great instruction every year. Um, Our pre-K longitudinal study um, shows that, that we need to be pay attention to that pre-K to um, third grade um, alignment. And national studies now are really looking at... um, did a child have a great pre-k experience but also if you want to meet that third grade benchmark what they're seeing in studies is that it's looking at children who had that pathway of a high quality Mm -hmm. so they had a great pre-k experience a great k experience with a a high quality um, classroom and great teacher and a first and a second and a third grade what research will also tell us is that one bad year you know one not so great year um two years to catch up Mm -hmm. so every year is important during the this critical time and so while pre-k is a um certainly what we would think is a shining star in the experience for georgia's children um it is just one year so pressure there year by year on the classroom environment on the teacher on the family as well Mm -hmm. Yeah, so how do all of those things work together? Um, The experience the child's getting in the classroom, um, the interactions with the adults in their lives, the teachers, and certainly um, families. Mm -hmm. Um, We acknowledge that families are the most consistent and first teachers of children, and we have to partner with them for kids to be ready. And all of those factors, you know, um, things that are going on at home, children bring into the classroom with them and so we have to figure out how to focus on all those things so kids are um, you know really being successful and meeting these third mm-hmm. grade benchmarks such a variety of things that may be happening well and we have to support teachers in doing that mm-hmm. um, Absolutely. That, I think that's what our Georgia pre-k does so well as we support pre-k teachers and that's what makes them a good high quality classrooms are those teachers and it's the, the support you provide to them to help them do that So Bentley, Susan mentioned the longitudinal study. So tell us a little bit and 
about how does this study uh, mm-hmm. that we're talking about right now with the pre-K to third grade comparison compare with our ongoing longitudinal study? Well, I mean, they're very different. I mean, this is a nice complement to that, but the longitudinal study is, is, is just a different study in altogether. Uh, you know, the, this study, the one that we're talking about now, that's just a point in time comparison. Mm-hmm. So you do it once, you're done, and you kind of put it on the shelf. You use it, but you, you know, it's done. In terms of the longitudinal study, it's ongoing. And so for those that are are not familiar with that, and oddly, I've become more familiar with it this week because <laughs> I'm diving into the latest report so we can release that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, basically, we're following a group of children who attended Georgia's pre-K through fifth grade. And so rather than comparing the two points of time, we're actually collecting data each school year. So that pathway, what Susan was just talking about, all that is present in this study. Uh, the report that I'm reading now, the children that study, we actually have eight data points for those children. So they're assessed in the fall and the spring, and then we have classroom quality measures for each year, not just for pre-K year. And that's a really strong research design. I don't know of other studies that have been able to measure quality in those elementary school years the same way that we have. And so uh, while I'm glad that we have you know, this study here, I'm really proud of the investments we've made in the longitudinal study. I think that's going to give us a lot of information and a lot of help with uh, aligning with DOE and just doing more to support teachers. Well, it's kind of like this study is a moment in time. The longitudinal study is almost like a living study that Mm -hmm. continues um, as long as, I guess, we continue to to do it. Mm -hmm. One thing I do think we should highlight is not only have we seen the importance for the continuation, kindergarten through third grade, longitudinal studies also pointed to the need for maybe some earlier educational opportunities for infants and toddlers, right? Certainly one of the things we know from the longitudinal study is that it gives us good information about the kids in the program, but it also helps us understand um, about the experience of kids over time and it gives us feedback um, to identify areas where the agency can work on the pre-k program but also provide additional supports and um, certainly our pre-k program shows that um, many of our children especially those that may come from um, backgrounds maybe they don't speak english as their first language or maybe it's a child um, whose family's um, struggling in poverty those children may come in behind Um, and so how do we um, address those issues before um, they hit the door of Mm pre-k especially one of the most consistent findings of our pre-k study uh, longitudinal study is around language Um, children who have lower um, levels of proficiency in english are coming in significantly behind their peers they make tremendous progress over their pre-k year but still end up behind so that's when we begin to think about our infant and toddler program how we um, support child care programs and quality rated mm-hmm. to improve um, and add that um, really rich environment that promotes language and literacy mm-hmm. and summer transition program uh, absolutely we're excited that we've just finished up um, our summer transition um, program it was great as always and we know that through our research that the agency um, invests in that that program just in six weeks um, makes a difference for kids um, and significant increases in math and um, reading before they enter kindergarten. Right. So all of these things coming out of this living longitudinal study uh, that people hear about occasionally. So, Susan, this um, interview 
uh, that you did mentioned that students enrolled in free and reduced lunch who attended pre-K did better than their peers. You mentioned in the article that's not necessarily the best measure of poverty. Right. So we should always ask questions about how are different groups of children of different characteristics doing in a study. And one of the things they looked in this study was children um, who receive free and reduced lunch, kind of as a measure of a child in poverty. Um, the issue is that free and reduced lunch um, is probably one of the higher me- measures of um that a family can qualify for. And then the other thing that impacts this study, too, is that um, this is a year that um, USDA, with the free and reduced school lunch program, began to look at universal eligibility, meaning that based on a percentage of children that were eligible in your school, that your whole school could just become eligible. So it's really hard to know, you know, which children actually were income eligible, but but also the income threshold is much higher than some other things like our CAPS program or mm. to be available, um, eligible for TANA, for SNAP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and on that note, I would say, too, that researchers had to use that because mm-hmm. that's, that's all that we had. Right. Right. So sometimes that's, that's why it's used. Measure. I mean, I think everybody would recognize that it's not necessarily the best measure. There's also a lot of variation within that category. So a family that's at the mm-hmm. top end of that threshold you know, would be might be much different than a family that's at the lower end of the mm-hmm. threshold. So we all know Georgia's pre-K program is universal in the mm-hmm. fact that there is no income uh, limitation or requirement, but which is better, a program that's universal or one that's targeted to at-risk students and why? So, of course, universal is better. <laughs> um, uh, Georgia has made a lot of commitment into a universal program and the belief that all children um, at four um, really need the experience of a high-quality preschool um, experience. But I will say there's been lots of um, studies and a lot of discussion about um, universal, which means that it's open to anyone. Not that everyone has a slot right now, but open to anyone um, versus a targeted program like Head Start, let's say, um, based on income. Um, There's a lot of, you know, there's some viewpoints that say we really should look at the most needy children and give them the um, service. Um, But the flip side of that is you also want to think about uh, go. Uh, as you think about families, uh, many times they go in and out of poverty. So families that live right at the poverty line um, many times kind of transition in and out. And so when you have a targeted program, there's a, a group of children that um, might be eligible, but a moment in time meant they weren't eligible, so they're not getting the services. But then also we really believe that you want to look at a, a classroom that's mixed, uh, that has a mixed um, group of children. Um, Um, So um, heterogeneous versus homogeneous, because then you're going to have children from a variety of backgrounds in that classroom, and they're bringing their experiences to that classroom. Um, Children from different incomes that um, are different backgrounds that um, may be bringing more language or more um, experience from their home into that classroom, and all children are going to benefit from that. Um, And then also, um, as we think about access across the state, in a state like Georgia that's largely rural, um, regardless of your income, high-quality preschool experiences are hard to come by. And so Georgia really feels like a universal program um, allows um, 
um, for everyone to have that experience that puts you on a more even playing field when you're going into kindergarten. Yeah, and I would just add to that too. And I'll be honest, I've been on both sides, and I can probably, like Susan, argue both sides. But one no, of the no, no, I can't <laughs> argue either side. Clearly, in a most Well, I, but, don't but, speak but, for her. Yes. But, okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Faux pas. Uh, Faux pas Friday. Uh, there is, you know, I think we forget too with the targeted program, there's a lot of administrative costs that go into that in determining eligibility. And we certainly see, though, you know, how many, how much resources that takes. Mm-hmm. And so to have a universal program, then you can invest that, those resources in other mm-hmm. things. That's a good that's point. A good yeah, that's point. a good point. I like that one. I'll <laughs> add it to my list. She gave you that one. So, yeah, in that <laughs> argument. So, we're getting ready for the 27th year of Georgia's pre K program, around 80,000 four year olds. Uh, starting school, 3,865 classes uh, at this point. Susan, what can parents expect uh, as they prepare for pre-K? Um, for many of our children and families, it may be their first experience um, in school and um, or traditional school. I think they can expect that they're going to find a welcoming environment um, and in regardless of the door that they go through for Georgia's pre-K. Um, we really focus on that um, this is a great opportunity for children and families um, to have a good first start and so they um, should really take advantage of that. Um, we try to help children and families see it in the best light as something that's going to be exciting and fun for their child. They're going to learn a lot um, and really a good opportunity. But any change is hard and mm-hmm. parents and families just have to rem- remember that um, and do a lot of preparation little kids need to understand what's going to be different what's going to be the same what can i expect um, sometimes they have fears um, about school you know what will happen if i need to go to the bathroom or where do i keep my book bag what do i do if i'm sad so parents mm-hmm. having the opportunity and families thinking about how to address those concerns with their kids beforehand and then if your child has any per, uh, particular concerns your pre-k teacher is ready to hear them talk with them and they'll help you make a plan um, for your child to have a smooth transition and so we're really excited um, to welcome our new kids and families for yeah, this school year. It's exciting. It is kind of up to the parents a little bit to sell this somewhat, right? I'm, make them feel at ease with mm-hmm. what's going on. And I think to your point, and you guys always have tips that we pass along, one of them is, you know, let them know what the routine's going to be like. You're coming back later that afternoon, you know, to pick them up. So it's exciting. So of the 80,000 four-year-olds that Georgia Pre-K serves every year, that equates to about 60% of four-year-olds in Georgia. So what about the other 40%? Where do you think those children are being served? We get asked this a lot, and a lot about the waiting list and the children that don't go to Pre-K. About 60% do of the four-year-old population. We also know from an economic impact study that the agency did, we know about 80% of our four-year-olds in the state are attending some kind of -of out-of-home program. Um, So about 60% are in pre-K and Head Start, so that includes our Head Start slots, but also... um, 
The other 20% are in some kind of other out-of-home experience. That could be a tuition-based um, program. Maybe they're paying, parents are paying for them to go to that at a faith-based program, or maybe they're paying at a child care program or another type of private school. It could be that they're going to a half-day program. Um, so we know a lot of kids are getting um, a preschool experience at four, and as an agency, we work to support all of those kinds of environments um, with our Georgia Early Learning and Development uh, Standards, with training for teachers and directors, so that all children um, have that experience. We also recognize that, you know, we don't expect 100% of four-year-olds to come to Georgia Mm. Pre-K. These are young children, and families have um, a lot of um, opportunities that they want to think about. And choose the right fit for their child and their family. Some kids are staying home with a parent. Some are staying home with a um, grandparent. um, And that's great. Um, We have lots of resources to support those families too. Um, What we know from some of our research is probably about 75% probably would get the market demand out there. Um, But We also know about 80% are getting an experience, and we're always looking at how do we maintain a really high-quality program and balance that with access. So, you know, how do we serve more kids, but also ultimately do we make sure that our Georgia pre-K slots remain really high quality? Mm -hmm. And on the waiting list, you're getting a little help from our friends at the University of Georgia to sort of dig into that situation. Right. We did a study last year Mm -hmm. um, with um, Carl Vincent, Mm -hmm. um, and they gave us some good feedback there. Bentley, you want to talk about that? Uh, Sure, sure. I mean, they did both focus groups with providers and they also did some parent surveys and not that I don't want to get into the weeds too much, but they actually did an experimental design to see which way was better to contact families, either through the phone or web-based survey. And of Hmm. course, as you would expect, the phone won. But anyway, it was just an interesting uh, aside Uh, to me. And I'm just going to give, you know, a shout out to Quality Rated uh, for, you know, a significant number. And I want to say it was like 18 percent or so of families said that was their first choice in selecting uh, Georgia's pre-K program. And, uh, you know, quality rate, it's not been around that no, long. Right. And that I think that to me just shows that a lot of the marketing that we've done has gotten out there. That's great. If, if they are on a waiting list, what's your advice? Um, families should um, use the resources we have there both our website and our um, call center to call and help them find slots. One of the things we did find out from the waiting list survey is that many families were only on a waiting list at one program. So we don't know if that's because there was just one program that fit their needs or if they weren't aware there were other options. Mm. Um, so really um, use our resources to help them um, find about find out about the available slots. And then also the other thing we found out about in our um, study is a lot of times parents' contact information wasn't kept up to date. So if you're on a waiting list for a program, um, explore all your options and get on the waiting list for the ones you're interested in. And then also, keep your contact information um, up to date because we um, work with programs to keep those slots full. We also, um, if classes close or something happens throughout the year, we fund additional classes and we want all that money out there um, to serve as many kids as possible. So if we have a new class, we can contact you. But on the flip side, if you're a family that's on a waiting list and you're looking um, 
for a different type of program, use our resources to make sure that that um, program you're going to is also high quality. And don't panic if you don't get into pre-K. Um, use the resources to help you. You can help your child get ready for kindergarten. And the only requirement for kindergarten is you have to be five. So oh. everybody's going to be good um, and ready for K. Gotcha. So Bentley, we're always focused on ensuring that as many four-year-olds attend Georgia Pre-K as we have slots for, but we also want to make sure we maintain that high quality that we know Georgia Pre-K is. So how do we balance increasing access and maintaining quality? Oh, I guess if we knew a definitive answer to that, <laughs> we, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I would say that we have a lot of work to do on that. Uh, but I also will say, too, it's been really exciting the last four or five years just to see all the different initiatives that the agency has done to, you know, not just with pre-K, but also, you know, before pre-K and to work with quality and quality rated and our Project Little and our Early Head Start Child Care Partnership Grant. So I think we're doing the work. I think our 2020 goal is really have has us focused to that because it's not just you know about access it's access to high quality if you look at the intent uh behind behind that goal but i would still say we have you know much more much more to do we try to cover many of the questions we get through social media and one question that comes up occasionally susan is we're at 22 students in a classroom now do you see that changing in the future um i think that um a couple, you know, when we had to do some budget cuts and back in 2011, and and um, one of the things we looked at was increasing the class size. And I often get asked about it many times from teachers that say that's a lot of four-year-olds, and I, and I agree. Um, I was the classroom teacher um, and taught pre-K. But I will also say we know a couple of things. Um, it was the best option um, to look at the class size. We also know on average most of our classes only have about have 20 kids mm. um, and so on an average across the state. Um, we also know that even with a 22 in the classroom we have a full-time um, lead teacher and assistant teacher so the ratio is 1 to 11 um, and we also know that our teachers are still getting really good results with our kids. So while um, thinking about reducing the class size is always, um, you know, something that uh, we don't forget about, we also know that we want to make sure we're always investing in the things that make the biggest impact. And so um, when faced with that question, um, when the Education Reform Commission um, looked at that I looked at um, what kind of additional dollars would we put into the pre-k program um, our early childhood subcommittee which included providers from public and private a lot of feedback you know they really chose to um, use that money to invest in teachers and look at um, doing an additional um, supplement um, for teachers based on their years of experience because we know that at the end of the day it's the teachers in that classroom that make such a big impact and they're the ones that really um, make a difference with those child outcomes and so um, as we think about quality we're looking at all those things we're looking at ratio we're looking at environment but we're also looking at the teachers in that room and that's where um, Georgia um, when we've had the opportunity is investing our dollars um, and right now 
That goes straight into my next question about pay parity between K-12 teachers and pre-K teachers and assistant teachers. So expand a little bit more about what sure. we did as a, as a result of um, those recommendations. So we added, uh, we were really happy that through the state budget and with so, um, great support, um, we got about $36 million to look at um, pre-K teachers um, getting um additional funds to put them on a pay scale um, based on their years of experience that really helps with putting them on par with their K-12 um, um, colleagues. Um, we really um, want to acknowledge that they are professionals. They have the same degrees as the other teachers. Um, they have to have the same certifications and requirements and need to be paid on the same scale. And so um, with the state dollars that are going to teachers, um, we really feel like we can say that they have um, parity um, with their um, counterpoints um, for lead teachers. And then assistant teachers have gotten a pretty significant um, increase over the last couple of years. Um, to about a 16% increase. Mm -hmm. um, and while um, across the board, assistant teachers um, uh, are compensated at a lower rate, and that's not just in pre-K, it's um, in all levels of K-12, um, we're really looking to um, increase that um, because we know the value of both of those teachers in the classroom. Mm -hmm. One last question back to the Diane Early study. Bentley, uh, she said Georgia has used research to improve and expand services, the focus on research. Is that unique to Georgia, and how have we done with it? Sure. So if, just for everyone to know, Diane Early is the lead author of the study and has done a lot of research uh, with us. And uh, while she is an independent researcher, I would also say she's, you know, a, uh, a friend of DECAL, a thod, <laughs> you know, we could, we could call her. And I say that because she really understands DECAL and she understands our work. And that, that helps because then you can make those, you know, needed feedback uh, loops from research to policy and, and practice. Uh, I wouldn't say having a research agenda is unique to Georgia, but I would say having an internal research team is pretty unique. And one of the questions that I'm always asked when I go to federal meetings or larger conferences is how do we do it? And how are we able to, to the point of like, you know, how do you fund your research position? So I certainly think that other states see the value in it and are quite envious that we have this internal research group. Mm -hmm. It's great that if you have a question or a theory, you can actually just get up from your desk, Commissioner, walk down the hall. They're downstairs. usually not in their office. They're not. So, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to track I've tried out. that. Yeah, usually it doesn't work that well. Well, you know, usually. we're hiding. Yeah. <laughs> Quandra calls and tells us you're coming, right. and so we're all, right. we all scattered. Strategy. I love it. Well, this has been great. If you uh, did not get a chance to read the article, we posted it to uh, our Facebook page. It's also on the Education Dive um, uh, website, and you can just search under Georgia Pre-K and find the interview uh, with Susan. But a lot of great feedback. 27th year of Georgia's Pre-K getting started here, so get excited, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, what's going on. If you want more information on Georgia's Pre-K, just go to qualityrated.org or call 877-ALL-GA-KIDS. That's 877-255-4250. Bentley and Susan, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for Thank having you. us. Now your questions from the water cooler. Hi, my name is Jill Vandemoss, and I am in the pre-K division. 
My question for the commissioner is, uh, Commissioner Jacobs, I know you believe in a home uh, work-life balance. I kind of want to know, like, what are some, what are your, like, the number one tip you would give me um, for that? That's a struggle um, that I have. Um, I'd like to know what, how you feel about that and how you make it work. Yeah. Well, Jill, that is, uh, I definitely agree. Uh, work-life balance is very important and I strive to um, do that myself. It is definitely hard, so I agree with you on that part. Um, I think it just depends on your day and the time of year. You know, summer's a little bit more relaxed um, than during the school year. You definitely have to uh, prioritize what comes up in your schedule. Sometimes you have to say no. Um, sometimes you have to ask for help and sometimes things can wait. Um, you know, of course we've got to get our work done, but uh, sometimes you can say, you know, it's five o'clock, this can wait until eight o'clock the next morning. And the same thing with your personal life. If your children need new shoes, maybe it can wait till the weekend and you don't have to run out after work. So um, I just think you have to prioritize and sometimes say no, sometimes say yes, and sometimes say that can wait until tomorrow. Do you find the busier you are, that's when the meltdown happens? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and some days you just want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> but just realize that, and yeah, the balance is there, and we do encourage it here at Absolutely. Decal. It's very important just for your own um, mental health. Time for your chance to win a nice prize in the decal download quiz. First, a big thank you to our sponsors, Chick-fil-A, Fun Spot American Theme Park, Atlanta Botanical Garden, Wild Adventures, and Atlanta Movie Tours. Let's give you a chance to win some fun prizes like that. All you have to do is answer this question correctly. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers and give you the prize. Here's the question. How many years has Georgia had a pre-K program? How many years has Georgia had a pre-K program? Submit your answer to decal download at decal.ga.gov. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers. Thanks for playing and good luck. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.